Hey, it's Eric G. Around the House is sponsored by Baldwin Hardware. For 75 years, Baldwin Hardware has been known for its first-class quality and craftsmanship in door and cabinetry hardware. As an alumnus of the Baldwin Hardware Design Council, I can say I have seen the details and quality from design to the finished product. If you're looking for a new style and old-world craftsmanship, I can tell you there is only one Baldwin Hardware. Check out what would look great in your home at baldwinhardware.com. It's around the house. And I've heard of this a lot, that people can't pay their electric or their gas or their oil, and then it gets shut off, and then pipes break. And that kind of stuff I've heard. Burning cabinets is pretty severe. Yeah, cabinet doors all went into the fireplace because they found in the ashes all the cabinet door hardware was in the ashes of the fireplace because he wanted to know where the doors went. And when they cleaned the fireplace out, there's a bunch of ash in there, and it was all cabinet door hardware at the bottom. and as a landlord, do you even have any legal ramification for kind of stuff like that? Can you sue them? I mean, oh, I don't sure. even know. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, if you've got somebody that's that's almost homeless, yeah, what, what are you, you going to sue? Get? When it comes to remodeling and renovating your home, there is a lot to know. Though we've got you covered. This is Around the House. Welcome to Around the House with Eric G. and Caroline B., your one-stop shop for everything about your home. Hey, Caroline, how are you today? Hello, everybody. Welcome. 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 Yeah, it's been a crazy week. I found this killer vintage find this week for my house. You did. And I'm jealous. I'm like (laughs) so jealous. It's awesome. We found at this estate sale about uh, 45 minutes from the house, this guy had a vintage bar from the like early 70s. So it's black fake leather with the walnut look to it, stools, the whole thing. Uh, It's got a wall-mounted, lighted display for it that matches and everything. 180 bucks. It's completely swanky, and it looks like a high-end wet bar that you would put so portable and you mm-hmm. can have stools in front very i call it very rock starish and it's got like the black sleek look to it it's very nice i i'm so jealous i want one and i was looking but this is a rare find it's not something you would easily find because it's it's not it's not cheesy it's very classy and yet um like it distinguished it's, it's really nice thanks i'll I throw it, it up on uh, around the house uh facebook page over there you can take a look at that for the show so we can talk about that a little bit later and maybe that's going to be a future episode we'll talk more about vintage finds and how to find that stuff but today we should talk about those top 10 things to consider before becoming a landlord because i've done this before and it can be painful and i want to be one i keep saying that like we have a house that i want to rent out and everybody just says don't do it, Caroline. You're going to regret it. You're going to get somebody in there. It's going to trash your property. It's going to be more headache. You're not going to be able to get them out. It's scary. It can be. And like my friend says, my buddy's got a beach house and his dad was running it for him. And he had this guy get in there. His dad wasn't as, you know, was halfway across the country in his eighties trying to run it and just didn't do it right. And the guy ended up Owen, like two and a half years of rent before the time they got him out. And it was during COVID and all that stuff. And now he's got about $20,000 into fixing the thing because he had meth heads and everybody else living in it. So I want to talk about the things you should be prepared for before you decide to maybe go buy that house or even more importantly, take something you have and, and turn it into a, 
you know, a rental, rental. unit for yourself. It's so appealing when you think about the amount, amount of money that you can make, you know, cause you see all of these 2,500 a month, 3,500 a month. It's, it, you get sucked into the fact that, wow, I could really have some extra income coming in, but there's so much stuff that you have to consider. Exactly. So let's go down the list here before we blow through too much time. Number one, here's my first one. Have six months of your mortgage payment for that property saved. And of course, have a heavy duty insurance policy that protects you and the place. Definitely. Because if someone gets hurt on the property and they sue you, you could easily go, you know, you need more than just homeowners. You actually need some type of umbrella policy for your own protection. Yeah. And you could have that thing, you know, when times are not always great for rental properties. So you could have six months where that place is sitting empty. And if you don't have that money squirreled away to pay for the mortgage on it, because most people don't have properties that are, that are paid for sitting there. They've got a bank Mm -hmm. payment of some kind, right? You know? And so you've got six months of that mortgage payment there and you're right. I mean, what happens if, you know, let's, let's go worst case scenario. Somebody, somebody gets hurt in the place or killed in the place because maybe you failed to do the inspections and the smoke detectors weren't working or, or they made the smoke detectors inoperable because they didn't want to change a battery. Right. They took the batteries out, you know, anything like that. You want to be covered because you don't want to lose the stuff you have. I mean, one, it's horrible. You've lost somebody or somebody got hurt, but two, you don't want to affect your livelihood on top of that. That's one big thing to remember with this is just to make sure that you've got that money squirreled away for payments as well as, you know, big insurance writers and have a big, deep conversation with your insurance company, because if you just have regular homeowners insurance on that property, no, that's not it might not even you. be valid if it's a rental property. Uh, and the other thing really quick is if you are considering being, you know, or having being a, a landlord, you can also take these properties that usually recommend you LLC them. So you actually don't have it under your name. It's under a corporate name. So you would exactly. start a new corporation. So that's where you talk to your attorney, talk to your tax accountant and uh, make sure that you've got the insurance as well for that LLC and you if you're the sole member of that. So it's just something to really keep an eye on and and work through. The next one here, understand the laws in your area as a landlord and a tenant, and then join one of the associations in your area for assistance. That's a really good one. To join an association, I didn't even know that they had those because the laws are so intricate. They, as a basic if you just go on and Google the law for eviction, for example, yep, they are so vastly different from where Eric is in Portland to where we are in New Jersey and how you can evict. And it depends on the salary of the person who's renting your property. If they actually are low income, you can't get them out of there. It's, it's very hard versus somebody who's in a higher income bracket. So things like that make a difference. Well, and here's the other thing too, is, is you need to decide, and this is, this is a hard one, but you need to decide early on, if you're going to take the state or federal low income payments, because there's a whole new set of rules when you start getting into the low income housing stuff and you might have your rules for the local area, but if you have to take those federal payments or the state payments, depending on where you live, um, what I, I had in, when I was living in Seattle, I was dating a girl that was, uh, that had her family that she was running the business had 13 rental units in the area. And so we joined an association and that association was like, um, I'll be honest, don't do at that time. Their advice was not to take the federal payments and not take those 
those things. And you had the right at that point to not do them, but they were advising not to because the hoops that you had to jump through were incredible and it was going to cost you a lot of money. One, you were, you were locked into a box and two, it was really kind of incentivizing people not to fix up the properties, not to do anything with them, but just have that cheap, you know, price on it. So that was kind of dangerous to, to put yourself in that box. And then second of all, It's weird too, though, in when you, when you're a HUD property, believe it or not, or, or a low income property, Mm -hmm. there's actually a lot more rules you have to do regarding mold. So for example, as a landlord, you might actually have to fix things up and it might cost you more to have a low income versus if you are just a regular standalone rental property, you don't have to do those things. There's nobody governing you. So it it so varies depending on how you're going to rent this property. Exactly. And then that that group is going to help you with all the paperwork and stuff, because depending on where you're at, there can be seven, eight, ten disclosure statements that you have to give to them. There's all the rules you have to follow. And for instance, here in Oregon, if you you can't raise your rent up. Basically, and this is not a legal description, but you have a cap on rent increases about 7% is all you can do in the state of Oregon. There's some rules and stuff around that. We're not going to get into those details because it doesn't matter, but you just need to know what all those things are. And one of those groups can really help you. They'll have a, you join the group and they, many times they'll have the whole paperwork package you should be giving to that potential renter. And then that makes it easy because you know, it's up to date. It's great. And you're not trying to, trying to, you know, fight through it on your own. And that can be a huge savings for you. And I think it's good that uh, you've got some support too down the road. You've got a resource for information of how to navigate. There's going to be stuff that you don't know what to deal with and they're going to be able to help you a little bit. Do you know there's a book out about California tenants' rights? So just like, just think about that. There's an entire book about the rights of tenants for California. Yep. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Now, when we come back, Carolyn, let's go out to break. I've got two huge ones here that could save you a ton of money if you're going to do this. It could prevent so many problems. We'll talk about that just as soon as Around the House returns. Hey, I'm Rudy Wade, and you're listening to Around the House with Eric G. and Caroline B. Listen to my music to improve your home. You got me thinking about the day we moved. Welcome back to the Around the House Show. Now, if you want to follow us anywhere on social media, just look for Around the House Show. And if you're on Facebook, join us over there and join Around the House Nation. That is our closed group where we put a bunch of different stuff up there and you can share your projects in kind of a safe space. Right, Carolyn? Yeah, we like to see stuff. I like to see what's going on in other people's houses and and know what you guys are working on. And if you're, you know, agree with us or disagree, I'm open to all conversation. You know what I love is a great example that happened over here about a week or two ago. Um, guy posted up a thing about this architectural feature on his building that he thought, ah, do I want to fix it? Do I want to repair it? And then a world-renowned architect jumps on and tells him how to fix it, what he should do. Mm. And a group comes in together of all these industry professionals, TV stars and everything else are commenting, helping this guy out. I'm like, that is why I created that years ago was just so we could have a community of people help out without having any of the social media drama that goes with it because there is a no drama rule in this group. And I love that. So join us. Come check us out. 
Come on over. So, well, we've been talking about the top 10 things to consider before becoming a landlord, just so you're more informed if it's something you're considering. And now, Caroline, you're considering it. So this you're is making me not consider you. it. <laughs> it's a lot, you know, you think it sounds great in theory. It does because the income, the money, you know, it just is, is very appealing. Cash. It's like podcasting. A lot of people get into that and then they realize, uh-oh, can't do it. It's too hard. Can't tell you how many people I know or businesses I know go, we're going to get into podcasting. It's got to be easy. And either the first episode doesn't even air or about the fourth episode, they go, oh, we can't invest in this. This is too much work. And they bail out of it. And it happens all the time. nobody's listening. So They get crickets. (laughs) That happens. That happens to everyone. So, well, the next one here on the list that I wanted to dive into is probably one of the most important on here. And that is doing legitimate background checks on who you're putting in. Mm -hmm. You need to make sure. And, you know, I I don't have a problem with somebody that's got a a legal past. You know, okay, they got busted for something 15 years ago and they got their life together. People have histories. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm worried about is putting the child molester into the duplex or somebody that is that has got a long history of destroying properties or on payment, you know, somebody that's running a drug den out of the house. Right. And I don't know. I mean, like, how do you really gauge? I mean, could it be that somebody is really um, not of character and their background check comes back? Okay. Or they, Oh, it's not a foolproof method, but it will tell you because a lot of times, you know, you can charge for that background check. So depending on the state laws, so when they fill out their application, you'll go, okay, I need the 30, 40, 50 or whatever dollars you can charge and whatever it costs you to do the background check. And then you get over, give it over to the company to do the background check. I always hired a company to do that for me. So I didn't have to worry about it. And then they would come back and say, okay, here's what the background check is. And then you could see if they'd had, you know, if, if, they're, if they've got a long history of evictions, you should go, hmm. Mm. All right. If they've already had four evictions in the last 10 years, maybe this might not be a great tenant. You know, the other downside to this is they recommend that you do not rent to friends and family. So here you've got one thing, you've got to do a background check on a stranger, but then you might say, oh, well, I'll just rent it to my friend, my family. I've thought that. That could be worse. (laughs) That can be worse. (laughs) Why? Is it just because you can't kick them out because they're going to hate you for the rest of your life? Uh, it's, it, it, you know, it's a business transaction when you have a landlord, right? Yep. Now you've made it personal when you've put that personal aspect to yeah. it. You know, when it's your, your buddy from college or something like that, or your brother-in-law or something crazy, that's when it goes sideways. And I think that's what you got to be really good. I think one of the numbers, but I'm not going to jump ahead, would fit in with this category, what we were talking about. And then you have to have conversations mm-hmm. that aren't pleasant. Yes. Many times. Many times. And that you're going to have it just trying to find, you're going to have unpleasant conversations just in the whole application process. It really is. You don't think about that. Because you're going to have people ask, you know, that's the whole thing. So we'll talk more about that. Moving you know, forward. Upcoming in the list here. Now, the next one is really important as well. You need to have a written out maintenance plan. What are you doing to keep this place maintained? When are you having the the carpets cleaned or replaced? When are you going around and doing the caulking and the exterior painting? When are you doing a HVAC, a bathroom, HVAC, HVAC, water heater? All those maintenance things that you do to your house now has to be done to this other residence. 
And the problem is, is this is where it's, we'll step back on the maintenance plan. It is very hard to be profitable with a handful of properties if you're not doing this stuff yourself, a lot mm-hmm. of it. I agree. If you're not handy, I would recommend that you are not becoming a small landlord because you need to hire people then to do it. And your profits go out the door really quickly when you're hiring a plumber Electrician. 500 bucks to come over to repair a faucet that you could have done. Money goes out the door too quick. Electrician. Electrician. I just had an electrician at the house. Two guys showed up and $250 just to have them change a wire. Just to give you an idea. But here's a great debate, Caroline. I would almost recommend that you hire the electrician instead of doing oh, it yourself. absolutely. That's what I'm saying. Because if you burn the house down doing something simple. Um, no. Guess what? Now you're liable. And so maybe that $300 charge for them to swap out an outlet oh. is going to be cheaper than somebody dying on a house I think fire. you have to have electrician. And even with plumbing issues, I see so much of it in my trade that, you know, people think they can do plumbing. And they put the wrong thing. And we talked about shark bites. You're like, oh, I'll just put a shark bite here. And then all of a sudden you've got a leak in the wall that costs you $30,000 in mold remediation. And you've got all that remediation cleanup. And you've now got to put Tenants up in a hotel. that person that's renting yes. in a motel or whatever while that's happening. And then you, you know, and that can be expensive. Tenants, I have this, I mean, when I say I have this every six months, I'm not joking. There's always tenants getting sick from mold and they are always trying to file suits. That doesn't mean you're going to be successful against the landlord. However, the landlord's got to go and defend themselves and it comes back to insurance again. You need to make sure you're protected because at any given time, lawsuit. Yeah. I mean, I had a lot of fun doing doing the landlord stuff, but there are times that it's going to be rough and just expect that. And um, that maintenance plan is really big because you need to go around and do it. And, uh, you know, getting ready, you can spend a day just going around and making sure things are winterized correctly. Are you suggesting that, you know, going around, if you've got multiple properties, are you suggesting that they give the, is this for them personally as a landlord, or do you recommend they give it to the tenant as a list of things that are going to be done? Never to the tenant. Nope. Never to the tenant. It is your responsibility. And you don't want that tenant to have the responsibility of trying to make things sure things are winterized. You know, if you've got a supposed to have covers on the front, go do Mm -hmm. it. It's not that you, it's your responsibility. I would not put it on the tenant uh, to do any of that. Or no, that's, just that's what I meant gig. was giving it to them just so they could see it and know what's going to get done. Or is it just for your own personal? No, it's for your own personal thing. And then just turn around and you'll have to make sure again, what the notice is to make sure you got the correct notice to them. Cause many times you have to have 24, 48 hours notice just to get into work on the place. So you can't just roll over there unless it's an emergency and check your local laws for that. Now, when we come back, there's a huge one here that I think is going to save you the most trouble, headaches and money in the long term. We'll talk about that just as soon as around the house returns. Hey guys, you're listening to Around the House with Eric G and Caroline B. I'm Zeke Sky, and I'm going to show you how to shred it out while you're building it up. Welcome back to the Around the House show. Now, if you are sitting there listening to us on the radio, we appreciate you. But don't forget, we do have a podcast for all the radio listeners out there that you can grab on any podcast player. Just make sure you head over and hit that subscribe button. 
especially if you're on Apple iTunes or one of those things or Apple Podcasts, hit the subscribe button, Spotify, all those. And that way you get informed of all the different shows we're doing, including our midweek special where we talk about stuff that doesn't hit the radio. Well, Caroline and I, we've been having fun. We've been talking about top 10 things to consider before you become a landlord. And I'm scaring you, I think. It is. It's a good topic. I think everybody kind of contemplates being a landlord at some point. They go, you know, I could do that. Yeah. Right. It's sort of like, it just happens. Like everybody in a household is at one point, I think, considered it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Next on the list, which is number five here, six month inspections. Now Mm. to get access inside a residence, you usually have to give them 24, 48 hours notice, know your local laws for that. But you need to go do a tenant walkthrough with them every six months to make sure here's what you're looking for. If you have a no pets policy, make sure you don't have pets. If you've got damage inside that they haven't called you about, maybe that the the faucet's leaking or there's a water leak in the bathroom every six months, you're going to catch it. Mm -hmm. If they're hoarders, you're going to catch it. Now, can you, you do going? this? I mean, is this some kind of breach of privacy? Nope. I mean, can you put that in nope. the contract? Should that be in your contract? It should be you- in your contract because there's so. uh, it will say in the contract, and this is where you have to have the lawyers involved or have a an association that wrote the contract. You have the right as a landlord to have access to do inspections. Typically, it's a six-month is what you have. You might even have a 90-day, but I mm-hmm. would recommend every six months – And this is the biggest step that's missed by landlords across the U.S. This is the number one thing they miss is they get busy and they don't do these. I mean, I have had some horror stories from people when I've been working in the remodeling business. I had one guy that um, they had a really nice house and the guy, they weren't paying attention. The Power and water got turned off. And so the guy was heating the house by taking the cabinet doors in the kitchen and the bathrooms and was burning them in the fireplace. Yeah. And I've heard of this a lot that people can't pay their electric or their gas or their oil and then it gets shut off and then pipes break. I mean, that kind of yep. stuff I've heard, but burning oh, yeah. cabinets is pretty severe. Yeah. Cabinet doors all went into the fireplace because they found in the ashes all the cabinet door hardware was in the ashes of the fireplace because he wanted to know where the doors went. And when they cleaned the fireplace out, there's a bunch of ash in there and it was all cabinet door hardware at the bottom. And, and as a landlord, do you even have any legal ramification for kind of stuff like that? Can you sue them? I mean, oh, I don't sure. even know. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, if you've got somebody that's, that's almost homeless, yeah, what, what are you going to get? What are you going to get? That's like the same with like a drunk driver who has nothing, no insurance. I mean, you're getting nothing. You know how many people owe me money out there that I'm never going to see? Oh, it's a fair so amount. True. I mean, yeah. what are you going to sue? Okay, so you're going to go spend 15 grand on an attorney Thousands to sue to, to get sue nothing? To nothing. Very yeah. true. I mean, there's times you just got to write it off. And that's that's the unfortunate part with that. So that's a big one. So knowing that and being able to manage it is huge. That way you can track what's going on. You can also go in and go, wow, that carpet's not wearing well. When these people move out, I'm going to have to replace the carpet. You have an idea of where you're going. Like, you know, things that are going to need to be replaced and budgetary for yourself. Exactly. Exactly. Next one, evictions. Understand Uh how that goes. And you're going to have that, expect to have, like you talked about, Caroline, 
expect to have those hard discussions because people not paying bills and you having to remove them for drug activity, illegal behavior, you know, breaking the law. Think about this. If you have like a no vaping or smoking policy in your home and you've got to tell someone who's vaping and smoking that you don't want them doing it, the lies are going to be flying. It's going to be so awkward. You're going to be accusing them of something. And it puts you in, I mean, this would be very challenging for me because I don't like to hurt people's feelings. And I like to feel like the conversations are good. And there's just no good way to have that conversation. No. And you, you've got to have a, a tough constitution to have some of these conversations. Trust right? me. Because uh, we had one with my, with the, the you know, ones I was helping manage up in the Seattle area where this was a mobile home and a gated community and a mobile home gated community at the time. And I think that's now been torn down and is now put into like residential housing because the area got so expensive. But during that time, they had put cats in, you know, and so the cats had done all this damage <laughs> to the carpet and, you know, that place had to be just really cleaned up afterwards and things replaced and everything else. And what's unfortunate was that it was in a, in a, in a mobile home that was going to get torn down, hauled off and dumpsters, you know? So as soon as that place turned over and it was going to be really bad, but that's things that happen when you're. I've got to add a sidebar when we talk about cats. I have so many clients that say, what is such a big deal about a cat? Cats proteins, if we actually could see them under microscope, they have like little sticky balls as proteins. Like imagine like a little thing that's got spikes on it that sticks to everything. These things get all over your premise and they are way worse than like a dog protein. So So that's number seven, actually. Pets and expect Uh, damage. So let's dive into this. Good timing, Caroline. You were moving ahead and you don't even have a list in front of you. (laughs) Psychic. Exactly. So here's the thing. When you're talking pets, you've got to decide if you're going to create a place that's pet friendly or if you're going to have a no pets solution. Like if I'm going to say that I'm going to have pets allowed in a house, that pretty much removes wall-to-wall carpeting in any room as a Mm -hmm. landlord. I am now going to a pet-proof click-lock vinyl luxury vinyl plank or hardwoods, which can get destroyed. Yeah, that can get there destroyed no, too. Yep. So first off, there are no hardwoods out there that are pet proof. I don't care what the manufacturer says. If they're a pre-finished floor and they click together, any place they've cut it, any place where the where the grooves are, it can get down in there and soak into the wood still. It will so happen. Pee and you have to think about nails and claws and all the scratching. Mm-hmm. So really take a look at hotels that allow pets. What do they do? They put in the vinyl flooring. Many times they actually do the glue down version of it because it tends to not move around as much. And mm-hmm. so it can seal up, but you do that. And then you see them, you know, putting in stuff that can be easily cleaned. You don't have a lot of fabrics in there and stuff, you know, for you blinds. It's more, it's more of that really hard surface. These proteins are sticky. So they get in your, now think about your forest hot air, your duct work. You know, it's almost better if you have a baseboard heat system or electric heat where you don't have to have ducts because then you got to have your ducts cleaned and you got to have all that HVAC maintained and filters if people have multiple pets. Well, let's sidebar on that baseboard heat. It's something that I probably discourage the most in rental properties. You do. Because people tend 
to put appliances, you know, it's, it's a heating appliance, right? So they depend, tend to stack up furniture, clothes, everything near these things, and they don't manage it correctly. Those can be a massive fire hazard in the world of rentals. So I, I prefer not to have those. I want to have a forced air heating and cooling system versus a baseboard heat just because of the fire hazard that you could have by clothing, furniture, just stupidity around a heating appliance. I can definitely see that. But then when I look at like an HVAC and all the things tenants could do, if, especially if you have flex duck, which is this plastic ducking, not real stuff, smoke, vaping gets in there, proteins get in there, mold gets in there. You might have to replace your whole HVAC. All the scenarios are bad. I don't, yeah, I I don't see any. I don't want to be too <laughs> negative on this one, but it's just something you really need to think about. And uh, I mean, you can go through and clean it, you know, and that's something that you have to, to pay attention to. But uh, pets are a big deal. And here's the other problem we got to be careful with is you could have other issues with dangerous dog breeds and stuff that aren't even right. allowed in that neighborhood. That's right. So now when we come back, we're going to wrap up our last three. We're going over. We'll do that just as soon as Around the House returns. <laughs> Hi everybody, I'm Ari Kameen from Steven Adler's band and you are listening to Around the House with Eric G and the beautiful Caroline. Welcome back to the Around the House show. Now, if you've missed some of these things and you're listening on the radio, don't worry, you can always catch it on the podcast on any podcast player. Well, Caroline and I, we've been talking about the top 10 things to consider before becoming a landlord. So where are you at so far, Caroline? Have I got you discouraged of being a landlord? You just I don't know. Everyone's no? going to encourage us, like discourage or encourage that we're being negative, but we're not. <laughs> we're really just trying to give you guys the real scenario. And maybe we should throw a positive. What's the positive besides financial? Well, here's, the, here's the positive. The positive is, and this is, this is why people become landlords. The biggest positive out there is that you can buy a piece of property and in a number of years, in theory, that could almost double in value. So that's the cool part is that you might have bought a house for 300000 or 800000 depending on where you're out in the country. And yes, that could be the same house, depending on the house's location. But all of a sudden, in 10 years or five years, that could be worth double that. So there's a huge upside to being a landlord on the property value side. It's just poor people. And I know people that have been landlords that have done, that have followed kind of these top 10 things that we're talking about today that have had great experiences and they found good people. They had good working relationships and things went really well. And generally it worked out well and the house didn't get destroyed throughout that. But it's, it really comes down to you and the choices you make as a landlord to make sure that you're putting the right people in there. And that you're getting it taken care of. And I've seen a lot of people purchase, they actually take home equity loans, purchase another property and have those new tenants end up paying for their property and they do financially well, you know, and they've done that for years. Yeah. It's just, there is Absolutely. risk involved. There's a lot of risk involved and a lot of it just comes down to you and how well you manage this. And 
you know, of course, bad things will happen. And I mean, it's just like any business thing. It's up and down, but there's ways to do that. So next on this one here, or number eight, repair and replace with durability in mind. So for instance, if you are replacing a toilet that's giving you problems. Now, let's say you've got a tenant that goes in there and they're like, man, the toilet's plugged again. Oh man, let me go get that. And maybe it's a cheapy toilet in there. Maybe it's one of the home center hundred dollar toilets, right? And you're always over there. You're, you've got a plumber over there. You're better to go spend a $300 toilet, like a nice Toto Drake or something over there, or, mm-hmm. you know, one of the nicer American standards or one of those to put in there and then not have to worry about it and never have to get that call on a toilet issue. True. Because what happens is, is when you're the landlord, it's always at like eight o'clock on a Sunday night, you're winding down, you've got a glass of wine, <laughs> you're worried about the weekend, you're binge watching your favorite show, your phone rings and the toilet's overflowing in the bathroom over here. It's Mrs. Smith. Now you're getting dressed, going over there with the plunger. You just completely dodge that if you put the right toilet in there. So durability. Make sure. Durability. Mm-hmm. Like there's carpets now. If you're putting carpets in, there is some of those smart strand carpets out there that I could put a white carpet in and I could throw, you and I could get in a red wine fight <laughs> with comes. bottles, throwing wine at each other. And I could go in there with warm water and a carpet shampooer, and it would look like brand new carpet again. And they're doing that a lot with um, couches and things like that too. So think about some people do corporate rentals. It's not always that you're doing, you know, a vacant rental where somebody comes in. So if you're doing furniture and things like that, go with the more durable fabrics. Yeah. There's huge corporate rentals in my area here because we have, you know, close to me within half mile within, you know, within 20 minutes of me, I have Intel headquarters and I also have Nike's headquarters. And so we've got two huge companies as well as Adidas mm-hmm. corporate. And, you know, so we've got a lot of those guys here. We do too. So we've got all the pharma, yeah. big pharma. That's a way to go too. Like if you are trying to get, I find that I've had friends and colleagues who have done corporate rentals and they've been very successful with getting, you know, an upscale clientele and being able to maintain, you know, a nicer place and yeah. furnish it, a furnished place that people can come in and rent. So. Think about yeah, that. Corporate it's great. Rental. Sometimes with those corporate rentals, I've done them where the corporation is actually, they've signed a two-year lease with you and they're yeah. rolling their people through there and they're covering it. It's not a bad way to go. Not a bad way to go. Number nine, have good neighbors that you're friends with that will report issues to you. Spies. Yeah. And drive by the place every once in a while. You know, if you if you're in a nice neighborhood and you drive by and there's four cars in the front lawn with the wheels off them, it looks like they've got a junkyard going. You've got a problem, and you can start doing that if they're supposed to take care of lawn maintenance. And the neighbor's like, "Hey, there's two there's two city warnings on the front door that they're not taking care of the place. You've got issues." Mm-hmm. You know, just as if there's you know younger kids in there and it's the fourth frat party of the week. Right. You right. know, people could be damaged. Parties. So just, yep. yeah, having those neighbors to report issues with you and just give you some feedback and go, hey, something's out of control or, or even worse, that maybe there's something dangerous going over there, like, you know, domestic violence and damage and things like that. All those things can happen. And if the police have been showing up over there time and time again, maybe there's some issues that need to be addressed, you know, all while handling the privacy concerns of the, of the tenant. But you know, follow the laws there carefully. But uh, sometimes as a landlord, you have to intervene and say, hey, guys, uh, 
you know, we're not, we're not being good neighbors to everybody else. We got to dial this in. Mm-hmm. Good one. Now, here's the biggest one on the entire list that we're going to have to jam in here before the segment ends. Before the bell. Have, yeah. Have someone on call while you're away for emergency repairs. Now, do you recommend it's like a contractor? Do you recommend that it's have a plumber, electrician, maybe just backups that you can just call from if you're in Florida and send them right over that you know? That's what I would do. Here's two things that I see. Sometimes people will have a property management company that will take care of this for them. I've seen people hire property management companies and then they deal with those problems. And then you as the homeowner that is the landlord will deal with the major stuff, but you can do that. That's one way to do it. The other way is to do it is to uh, have a handyman company that's on call and it's got a 24 seven emergency repair uh, or they call you and you've got the plumber, the electrician, uh, all the different HVAC, you know, all those guys on call. Cause what happens is Murphy's law says you're in the Bahamas on a cruise and they're calling saying there's a water pipe leak. Yep. Or HVAC's out and it's winter time. I think or if it were me, just because things cost a lot. If you have property manager, it's going to be expensive. So I would have a full list of all the people that you potentially need to go over there. So it could be your plumber, your HVAC, you know, have that all arranged. So you know that you can call someone and they've got 24 hour service. Yeah, property manager is hard to make money doing that because again, you're paying people to be doing stuff and, and they're taking a cut of it. And if it just has to depend on what your time is worth, most people don't do property management companies because I'll be honest, many of them don't do a great job of putting decent tenants in there. They don't have the emotional tie to the house that you do. So they go, oh, that's good enough. We'll put them in there. We rented it. Cool money. But when the damage happens, you're still responsible for it. So there's a common myth right there. When you hire a property management company on there and they put a horrible tenant in there, you're fixing it. They're not paying for it. And I had a buddy that was shocked at that. He's like, oh, I'm just going to hire a property management company. They'll take care of it. And, you know, if they put somebody in there that's bad, oh, they'll take care of it. I'm like, yeah, you're paying mm-hmm. for the repairs. He goes, what? What are you talking about? I'm like, yeah, you're building your repairs. You're responsible. You're responsible. It's your building, your repair. You're always responsible. Assume you're always responsible. Go out on that note. You're always responsible and you got to protect yourself. Absolutely. So there's a lot of pluses and minuses with this. You know, there's a lot of places where you can make money with this. There's, you know, being a good human is part of this and making sure that you're working with people correctly. But I'll be honest, uh, one of the other ones real quick here that I wanted to say that is very easy. Make sure that you have an easy way for them to pay rent to you. Oh, Venmo. Make it easy. <laughs> I love Venmo, Venmo. You know, Zelle. One of those things, hey, you know, make sure you have an easy way to do it and never have the checks in the mail because the checks in the mail never work. It's always lost. You ever notice that when they send the checks in the mail, it's like, it's oh lost. My gosh. What do you mean it's lost? I sent it. I swear I sent it. I even with the apartments that we were managing, we had a six blocks that we were managing and we even put a locked in mailbox for people to drop it in there and they'd go, oh, I put it in there. Somebody must have stole it. It's like. I'm the only one with the key. Nobody stole it. So that's where the problems arise. If you're going to do this, make it profitable and give somebody a great home to live in. Sounds good to me. All right. I hear the music playing in the background, Caroline. I'm Eric G. And I'm Caroline B. And you've been listening to Around Around the the house. House.
it's Eric G from Around the House. Are you planning a decking or siding project this year? If you are, you've got to check out my friends at Millboard. Millboard is a completely different kind of composite decking and cladding that enhances outdoor spaces with enduring distinction. Hand molded from the finest oak, it realistically mimics the natural grain and color of premium hardwood. If you're looking for something that doesn't look like plastic and instead real wood, check out millboard.com. Make sure and check out that interview we did just a few weeks back. That's millboard.com.